Welcome to the Limitless Entrepreneur Podcast, your weekly dose of strategies and mindset tools to build a business in alignment with your purpose and get you playing a bigger game. I'm your host, Nicole Leno. Hello and welcome to the Limitless Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Leno, and I'm here with a very special topic and a very special guest. I am here with Jennifer Love. She's a money therapist and a wealth philosopher, and I'm actually going to kick it over to you, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. And yes, I am a money therapist and a wealth philosopher, wealth alchemist. Um, but I think what's more fun about me is I'm a dark chocolate lover. Um, I have a chocolate, I have a chocolate company called Nibmore. I'm also a nature lover. So I'm a really big ally for nature. I believe that nature is one of our greatest teachers. And, and I am the mama of a fur baby named Maggie who loves to go hiking with me. And, and I call her my princess of protection. I live in Santa Barbara, California, and my heart. um, what the work that I do, my mission is really about helping leaders, women leaders live wealthy from the inside out. Um, and so that's what I'm all about. I love all of that. And I love that you mentioned that you're a dark chocolate lover, because I didn't know if you know this, but I eat this. This is like my, my treat that I give myself every single night is I eat two small squares of dark chocolate. So I, I, it's completely portion controlled, but I'm like, <laughs> yes. it is my, this like decadent little 10 minute period of where I like, I, I just, just swim in the decadence of high quality, dark chocolate. So I love that you have a chocolate company and that is something that you mentioned on the show. That is, that (laughs) is our whole purpose. Nicole is about enjoying having indulgences and moderation. Um, so I'm glad that you're a dark chocolate lover. Me too. I have it a little bit every day as well. And it's just, especially when we get like 70 plus, it's so good for us. It's such a, you know, I, and it's, it's not a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. It's, it's just something just that I like, pleasure. and I make sure that I really enjoy it. Like I'm like, I'm sitting down, I'm going to have my chocolate. I have my moment. I really like every bite I savor. And it is just something that I like take great joy in having this like sensual experience with my chocolate. So fabulous. Um, and I love, I love your mission. And I'm so excited to talk to you today about women and money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think, just from your experience, just right off the top, let's start this off with just what do you think holds women back specifically from earning and holding money that you've experienced? Is there something that really stands out? Yeah, it's the story that's running us, the story that's having us about money. And that story is very old. It's it, in fact, I would say maybe ancient. And that story has been inherited. That story has been passed down for generations. It's in our body, you know, what we know of as epigenetics, where we carry emotions in our bodies. Um, in fact, earlier this year, I had um, a genetics test from a company called Aperion. And I believe they're out of Idaho, if I'm getting that right. And Aperion really looks at a lot of different things with this genetic test. And one of the things that it was able to look at 
was a gene called the worrier versus the warrior test. And so we can test for things like, are we carrying a gene where we have more of a tendency towards anxiety and worrying constantly? Um, you know, it might be in a family where it's like, you know, Uncle Bob's always worrying, like, you know, his whole family, they always worry um, versus the warrior. And the warrior is more of the, you know, the fighter, the one's like, you know, gonna go out and get it done. Um, and so I have the warrior. I have, I have a tendency towards more anxiety. And these kinds of things are important for us to understand. And we can see that through our genes and epigenetics also carries our stories. And so where are these, where's our relationship with money really coming from? It's coming from these stories that I believe is inherited. That's passed down, may not even be ours. And yet it's existing and living in our body. And we're operating with it based on what our parents showed us, told us, said to us what we witnessed and saw and heard. Um, and it also, in large part, is coming through from society. What is society saying? I mean, if we look at um, the treatment of women historically, you know, women were property for, for a very, very long time. And so we're still unwiring ourselves genetically, emotionally from that. We get it on the mental um, aspect of ourself. But emotionally and physically, we're still unwiring ourselves from how we were even valued. And therefore, we're still trying to find our way into value of ourself. Um, and not that we as all humans don't experience that on some level. I think that's true. But we as women have a special extra dose of working through that still. Well, like you said, I mean, I think there's, I, I completely agree with everything that you just said, and thank you for sharing it. But I, I think the the fact that even just the things that we've experienced ourselves of seeing our mothers, did your mother earn money or was she taken care of? And, and you correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, or if it's, if, if, it, if you have a different philosophy, but for myself, I looked at none of my grandmothers worked. My mother didn't really work until I was out of the house. And so just the, and not that it, it, it's not putting them down at all, but I saw the role of the woman was to be taken care of. Yeah. And the man held the money. Yeah. And that's a story I have had to, and I, you know, I have these moments that I can remember in my life where I actually watched my mother be very disempowered by not having any control over the money. Like I think her and my father ended up divorcing, but I, I know for a long time she kind of wanted to, and she didn't really see that as an option. So I just saw all this as, as money's not mine, I think was a story that I've had to kind of unwind. Money isn't mine. It's not meant to be mine. And I will never be empowered without it. Therefore I am disempowered. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting trail you've just made there, and I, I think in large part what you're demonstrating here is pretty accurate. And what I see in my research with clients on the clinical side, I've had so many women say to me over the years, "Well, if I make more money, a man won't love me, and I'll end up alone, or my friends will be mm -hmm. jealous of me, and so therefore I'm going to keep playing small and not mm -hmm. really not really put myself out there in a you know bigger way." Um, and so it's, it's like this avoidance. I find that 
more than 50% of women entrepreneurs are what I call money avoiders. Um, and so we believe that because of all the things we've already mentioned here, um, that money doesn't want to be with us. And we are actually afraid to be with money. Mm. Now, now mentally, we're saying, I want more money. We're saying, yes, I, we're saying yes mentally to the money, but our behaviors and our emotions are actually very much afraid of, of it or very much avoiding it. So for example, the avoiding behavior might look like, oh, well, as an entrepreneur or leader, are you sitting down and actually having a money date and reviewing your for financial forecast and you know what's coming in, what's going out? You know, are you profitable? What is your your net profit? Um, what are the profit margins on the different products or services that you're offering or not? Um, do you have any idea? And if you don't, it's kind of like you're driving in a car with a blindfold on. Nicole, what happens when we drive with a blindfold on? We crash. We crash. <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at the least, we're we're going to injure ourselves. At the worst, we're going to ourselves or you know in this case maybe put ourselves out of business or go into bankruptcy or massive amounts of debt um, because we can't see that there's a flashing red light on that dashboard because we're not paying attention to it or we can't see that there's a bend in the road and so we don't know to turn the wheel a little bit or to pull over on the side of the road and go like wait a minute I got to check some stuff out. Something's wrong here. This isn't going right. Like I've got some clunkiness happening up in my car. So, so that is the power of really being in relationship of even looking at our finances. Now I'm just, this is just one aspect of a behavior of avoidance that might be showing up or how we're pricing. I, I would imagine that you're doing some work with, you know, folks on how, how to price and how they are pricing and how they're being in relationship with that. And Oh, this is a big one because I, I, I see a lot in the spiritual community, for example, the story, the story might sound like, well, you know, I can't really charge for this. I just, I just want to make an impact in the world. I just want to like really serve people. And if I, if I actually charge a lot, like somehow I am like not a good person. Like these mm-hmm. are these are the kinds of stories that as women as leaders that we are carrying around with us that are impacting our behaviors of avoiding and therefore how much money we're able to be with or not be with based on how we're being in relationship with ourself and the concept of money outside of ourself. And you know what, Nicole, for me, I kind of say like money's like eggplant. Money's like <laughs> money's like money's like eggplant or like tofu. Right. It, it really just kind of takes on whatever flavor you pair it with. (laughs) I love that. I've never heard that before, but I'm stealing that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. I, yeah. I mean, if you could see me, it's a podcast, so you can't see me, but I'm like full body nodding the entire time you're talking because when you talk about, when you talk about not being able to charge, um, like for one thing that I, I point out with a lot of people, we all have this to some degree. It's how much, but this, this to me falls into also like the people pleasing category of ways that we, this, and this is when people get confused by like, when, when we say you don't, don't do be, it's not what you do. It's who you're being when you do it. 
this is an example of that for me and one that I illustrate for people, because if you go into people pleasing mode, you are being a people pleaser. The version of you who has everything that you want is not a people pleaser. She had to give that up in order to put herself first. If you're looking at all the other people and you're saying, I can't charge that because then I'm I'm a bad person for not helping the people who really could use my services because they can't afford me. So you put imaginary people in front of yourself and your own needs and you don't get paid what you're worth. So then you're always questioning whether your business will be successful. You're bringing that energy to your business, which is serving absolutely nobody. And it all starts with not feeling worthy of that thing that you're either not there yet, or it's not a good thing for you to do this. Um, it makes you a bad person. It's it's all the meaning that we put on it. That's right. It's all the meaning that we put in it. I'm going to ground this in a story. Yes. Yeah. Love it. A couple of years ago, um, my sweetheart, John, and I went to Tulum, Mexico. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I love nature. So I love learning about the land terrain. You know, I live here in Santa Barbara. I live in what's called the Chaparral. Most people have never even heard of that word. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so here we are in Tulum and I, you know, I want to like learn about the terrain. And I, I discover that the soil is primarily made up of limestone in Tulum mm-hmm. and the limestone is really, really hard soil. So it, it's really hard for most ecosystems to root below the soil. We now, have that here. Austin is built completely on limestone. So it's okay. the same exact same, thing. <laughs> same thing. Great. So you, you, you get this. So, okay. That could be all right, except for we all know that Mexico often goes through incredible states of drought. Mm-hmm. And now that wouldn't be a problem if, you know, there, this wasn't limestone because then that root system could, could go below, you know, into what these bodies, caverns of water called cenotes. And cenotes are literally filled with water. But because the limestone is so hard, most of the ecosystem is not able to root down below this limestone. Therefore, they would die. Um, However, there are a few trees that the roots are so strong that they do and are able to break through and actually survive through this limestone and, and soak up the water from the cenote. Now, you know, in what we're talking about here to ground this, can you imagine that this tree, if it just passed this water, and, and here's what, the, let me ground this really quick. First, this tree is soaking up this water, nourishing itself, and then through the microbiomes, the bacteria, and the fungi that communicates through the soil and the dirt around it, it communicates with the other ecosystem. And it's able to then transfer that water to the ecosystem around it. Now that's amazing. Incredible. Nature's incredible. But can you imagine in this story, if the tree was to soak it up, not nourish itself and just pass it along, do you think it would be able to continue to pass it along for very long? Mm. The answer is no. Why? Because it would die because it's not feeding itself first. But that's not what the tree does. What does the tree do? The tree teaches us how to actually care for ourselves first because being self-centered is actually one of the greatest gifts. It is one of the most selfless acts we give others is being self-centered. The tree is teaching us that. It is 
caring for itself first, nourishing itself first, and then it is communicating with the ecosystem around it. Now, that very wise tree knows that if it supports the ecosystem around it, that ecosystem around it will also support it. And it does. So when it when there's bad bacteria that's trying to you know eat away at some of that tree, some of the good bacteria comes up and eats away at that bad bacteria, right? So it becomes this thriving community. Well, that's the way we're meant to be in relationship with money. And I just want to point something out because I love pointing this out when the uh, the opposites here because I think that this is what men do very naturally. They take care of themselves, and then like in business, in I I. I worked for a long time on Wall Street. I've worked in the entrepreneurial space for a long time. And the the men didn't have an issue with billing. They didn't have an issue with really owning what their time was worth. Um, the more they earned, they could be very generous and pushing it out to others. They didn't, it, it was a very different relationship to earning, to money, to charging uh, they didn't have the guilt. At least I didn't experience that. I noticed a very confident sort of way that they walk into even brand new things of, I got this and, oh yes, of course you're going to pay me for it. Whereas a woman would be like, I, I, I talked with a woman this week where she's a powerful, very, very high level executive in corporate. And she's switching over to entrepreneurship in the same type of role. She's trying to take what what she does and apply it to entrepreneurship. And she got this idea in her head that she had to start from scratch Mm. before she could charge people because she didn't have the exact experience like in this place. (laughs) And I I told her absolutely not. And this is something that like, I, I don't think a man would ever do that be like no I was awesome there I'm going to be even more awesome here and you're lucky to have me so I I always want to point out to women that that this is this is something that, like what took to what you were saying earlier about the generational stories trauma around money around what it means to have money um this is how it plays out for us differently than it does for our male counterparts. It doesn't make them bad. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not ragging on the men. I'm just, I I love pointing that out because I want people to see that it doesn't have to be this way. And we have different standards. Yeah. I'll, I'll add to, to what you're saying here. You know, first off, Wall Street is a whole nother breed of (laughs) (laughs) a whole special breed. And I've I've supported a lot of men, you know, and I want to, I want to call out those who are also a little more um, have are more in touch with the sensitive or feminine part of themselves. I see that they often will experience similarly what us as women are experiencing what Mm. you described. Um, as well. And so I, I think it might be more in the nature of the feminine itself and the mm. cry and the cry for the feminine in all of us, whether we're male or female, for healing and for ownership of our value. Because I mean, if we go back to the Adam and Eve, you know, the outcast of the, of the woman, um, I mean, we have story after story through history, including the Cinderella story. She ruined story. it for all of us. Yeah. She ruined it. <laughs> and the Cinderella story, even, you know, it, in the, you know, or the damsels in distress, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. these archetypes and these stories that have been passed down 
that we are teaching our young ones that we have so ingrained in us. I mean, the Cinderella story is a story of women keeping women down Mm -hmm. and of not owning um, our, our value. Like Cinderella was, you know, this was her, her right. She was an heiress. Uh, And, and yet, you know, she's acting like a slave in her own home, even when she can leave, you know, she's getting to the right age of being able to leave. Um, she's not leaving. Why? Because, well, in the world of psychology, we would call that learned helplessness. When you cage an animal or a person, or you treat them in a certain way, and then you change that behavior, stop that behavior, that negative or that traumatic behavior, the animal or the human is going to continue to act in a way that is cowarding, that is mm-hmm. in fear, that is living in a state of constant trauma. So that that animal isn't necessarily going to even come out of the cage because that's what they know as their new norm. That's the suffering is the norm, right? And and so we don't come out of this these states. We stay in them. We stay stuck in them. And even in the in the case of Cinderella, I mean. You know, when she thinks she's going to go to the ball and, and yet she, she's not because she's stripped, you know, from her clothes and she goes running out into the garden. Like that's when she's really beginning to get in touch with her emotions. I believe that's the most magical point in that whole story is a story where she begins to really let herself feel. She starts crying. And what happens then? That's the magical moment when the the fairy godmother appears and bippity-boppity-boo, everything starts to transform around her. All this stuff is manifesting around her. You know, the pumpkin turns into the carriage and the, Mm. the, you know, the mice turn into the coachman and, you know, this whole thing is happening in front of her. And then she says, well, wait a minute, but what about my dress? What about me? Right. That's the moment where it's like, wait a minute, I deserve. I deserve. Mm. And so then, you know, the dress is swirling and she's beautiful, but not without creating an upper limit, I call it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because at the stroke of midnight, it's all going to end. And, right. and then I have, in order for me to be happy, I have to be cared for by the prince. Like happily ever after mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm rescued, when I'm saved, because I'm this damsel in distress. Right. So these are the kinds of stories that we are of women have been taught and are perpetuating and are continuing to experience. And so whether it's like I'm afraid to make more money because I'll end up alone, or I'm afraid to make more money because that means that I'll have to work harder and you know it'll be more responsibility and that just feels like it's too much. So right. therefore, so therefore I'm going to avoid, you know, doing these things, um, looking at my finances or, you know, pricing myself in a healthy way, or we can fill in the blank with all kinds of things, or I'm going to put myself in this debt cycle and stay in this debt cycle, or, you know, I'm going to make decisions where I've made 10 million, but I'm, I've lost it twice because yeah. of relationship choices and people stealing from me, right? So it shows sabotage begins to show up or the avoiding of the money begins to show up in so many different kinds of ways. So, so yes. And this is all like, I, so I, I think we've covered so much and this is, this is amazing, but how can we not feel disempowered by all of this? How can we take all of that knowledge and take it from just being, 
being, you know, because we can hear all of it and we can hear it with our analytical mind and we can hear it with our conscious brain and we can say, okay, that all makes sense. And I see those stories. And, but how do we take that from just a knowing to a being? How do we take that and, and actually turn that into a new way of being around money? How can we actually, are we able to change our relationship with money in your experience? We are. We are very, um, the, the word in the science kind of neuroscience world is neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to transform. Um, the first step in that is getting aware. We are operating at large part as a society, as a human, on a collective level, as, as well as an individual level, having no idea really what's running the show. And so we must first go back and get clear on what is running the show. I'll ground this in my own story. So my own story starts with my first money memory. I'm three years old. I'm standing in our home in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My my father's a successful entrepreneur. My mom's a stay-at-home mom. And my parents are fighting behind their closed bedroom door. My father's punching holes and yelling at my, my mom. He's punching holes in the walls. And before I know it, he's storming down the hallway past me and out the door. I turn and look at my mom. She's sitting on her bed and she's crying. And so I go to her. I crawl up on the bed and next to her, I see the cut up credit cards. And she looks down at this little three-year-old me and says, your father's leaving. He's not coming back and we don't have any money. And that was the day that I watched my mother become financially disempowered that was the day that I was like, whoa, this is, this is a lot. And we went from being rich to living in poverty for quite some time. Um, in fact, living on food stamps for a period of time. And I began to, to make the story of, I mean, I made lots of stories, but one of the stories that I made was, well, I'm not lovable enough for my father to stay. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not good enough for my father to pay child support and help take care of us. Right. And so what did that do? What did that story begin to unfold in me over time? Well, I'm going to prove that I'm lovable. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to I'm gonna prove mm. that I'm good enough, right? And so I built the businesses, you know, 20 years. Um, very successful entrepreneur. I have five companies. I started from the ground up. You know, the real estate, the investments, you know, the accolades, the credibility, the press, all of it, you know, I had the money in the bank. And yet I remember getting to this one point at a particular day and I thought, gosh, you know, I have all the things that I thought were going to make me feel lovable, that were going to demonstrate and prove that I was good enough. I've got those worldly outward things. And yet I don't feel any more lovable. I don't feel still good enough. So something's missing here. There's a, there's part of this equation that's that's lacking here. And that's really what I'm talking about, right? It's unpacking what is running the show, going back and saying, "Oh, wait a minute. I'm I'm demonstrating that all of my value is outside of me through my I'm not lovable and I'm not good enough story." And how that has manifested into behaviors, into my my inner critic, the way that I'm thinking, and I'm being controlled by all of this. So what do I need to do? Well, first of all, maybe I need to reframe what success is. Second of all, 
maybe I need to reclaim my keys and say, wait a minute, I'm good enough just being me. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I need to hmm, give my father a pass and realize that, hey, thank you for helping me get into this world. You are an amazing portal, but your job was really never to be my dad, right? I release you. I let you go without harboring resentment, right? So we have this clearing that we need to do to release as well. And then we begin to say, kind of like training a puppy, like we can train our brain, right? How do we train a puppy? Well, there's a couple things that we need. I'm, I'm going to let you guess, um, Nicole, what are, what are the two primary things that we need to train a puppy? Positive reinforcement. That's one for sure. Yeah. But the first, the very first thing that we need to train a puppy is we need to know what we want to train it to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and same with our brain. Well, wait a minute. Okay. So I'm unpacking what's happening for me, why I'm being and operating the way that I am. I'm gaining awareness of what is my story. But then what do I actually want my story to be? What beliefs do I want to hold? Mm-hmm. And then, and then, yes, much like the puppy, there's this continuous, persistent, like we, this is where we pull out all of our tenacity. And through positive reinforcement, as you said, we continue to choose that thought, that belief over and over and over and over again. Because when we say to the puppy, hey, I want you to go outside and go potty in this part of the backyard. And we continue to take that puppy there over and over and over and over consistently, over and over, choosing it again and again and again. Before we know it, that puppy, much like our brain, comes and tells us, hey, I need to go outside. And then it goes straight to that part of the yard. And our then puppy. we celebrate the puppy. And then we celebrate the puppy. <laughs> and we sell it. And we and and talk about important an important um note here, you know, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as women. Are we acknowledging and celebrating ourselves in this? Yeah. 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 Or are you just in pursuit of the next thing, which is you're really looking for something to fill an invisible hole with the next thing that that was my first aha with money when I realized how, like you said, you get it. It comes in, you think that that's the answer and then it's not because that was never the whole. It was what you made the whole about. You made it about the money. You made it about the success. You made it about the thing. And it's really not that it's a hole in you. And for you is unlovable. Like, how can I, how can I fill this void? I'm going to stuff food in it. I'm going to stuff like we, we have all of these coping mechanisms and ways that we are trying to fill these voids in us. And the truth is, is that it's, it's, it's loving yourself (laughs) and celebrating for me was such a huge part of it was to take a moment and to celebrate the fact that not that I had necessarily achieved something, but that I got what I wanted and like the universe loved me enough to co-create this moment with me. Can I celebrate the magic? Yes can I celebrate my magic and what my hand in this and how beautiful is this dance that I'm currently dancing with 
the source of all things. I am, I am creating my reality. Can I celebrate that? And can I celebrate the fact that I was worthy of this moment? That's right. And when we, and when we celebrate ourselves, and, and when we celebrate, even when we unpack what's true for ourself, and then we begin to release and we celebrate our releasing and all of the, you know, I call it in having an emotional clonic. You know, <laughs> when we, when we really allow ourselves to go into, I had a client once describe it as going, it's like joy in the dirt. You know, it's mm-hmm. really, you know, really going into the shadowy parts of ourself and celebrating all of that, all of it. Um, celebrating and accepting exactly who we are. I love myself exactly as I am. Looking yourself in the mirror and saying that to yourself and and feeling that, letting your body, like literally, I'm, I'm actually getting the chills right now, letting your body feel the truth of I accept and love you exactly as you are. Ooh, that is powerful. Talk about reclaiming your value. You want, you want to practice that's going to help you with that? Go look at yourself in the mirror and say that to yourself every day. Yep. And it, because I think something that I say to my clients all the time, and I've said it on this show before is that the goal isn't perfection. The goal is wholeness. When, when you can love all of you, every part, the procrastinator part, the, all the things that you don't like, if you can look at that part of you as having a divine purpose within you and love it, you can then get it on the team to help you do everything that you want. You're When we're disowning pieces of ourselves, all of us is necessary on this journey. And you need to get the whole team on board and you do that with love. A hundred percent. We do that also by embracing our emotions Mm. and, and and not trying to push them away. And so it's okay as a woman to be angry. It's okay to be sad for anyone who hasn't watched the movie. It's an animated movie called inside out. I highly recommend it. (laughs) It really demonstrates the power of, of why sadness is key to our joy. Um, to our wholeness, right? And and so go watch Inside Out. But when we embrace and we allow ourselves to really feel all of our feelings, it really helps us get to that place of love, because anger transmutes into love, right? And and sadness transmutes into joy. Mm-hmm. And you know these things, these parts of ourselves want to be. Um, want to be heard. They want to be listened to. And what we know about money and emotions, people ask me like, well, Jennifer, what does emotions have to do with money? I'm like, well, let me put it to you like this. Science shows us that 90% of all of our financial decisions are being made based on our emotions. Only 10% is being made based on any logic or analysis. So what does money and, and your emotions have to do with each other? almost everything Mm -hmm. because we're making in large part um, financial decisions based on a place of fear. Let's say, do we really want to be making a decision based on a place of fear or do we, or do we want to instead transmute that by understanding what's controlling us and why, and then how we can actually unpack this, how we can release this, how we can accept ourselves, and therefore make a financial decision based on a place of trust. Mm. Trust is 
trust is the goal to be able to trust ourselves, to trust the people around us, to trust ourselves to make good decisions, to trust ourselves to, to hold the things that we are asking for, to trust that we are worthy. Like it really does, you can tie it all to trust in some way. And at least in my experience, that has been true where I come back to, if something didn't go right, I, I wasn't trusting, I wasn't in the energy of trust. I was in the energy of fear. That's why something that worked one month didn't work another month because one month I trusted with all of my heart and all of my being and another month I, I didn't, I white knuckled it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I could literally talk about this with you all day, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, but we are coming up to our time. So I, I just wanted to, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Please tell them where they can keep in touch with you and um, any links or anything that you want, want to drop here so that they can stay in contact with you. And then if there's anything that last, last words that you'd like to leave them with. Mm. Well, I will say as kind of a final takeaway that all of your gold, all of your value, everything you need is right inside of you. You will not find the good enoughness, the lovable enoughness outside of you. So I encourage everyone who's listening to this to take your keys back. And yes, it's a process. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Be exactly where you are and take the next right step. Take your keys back and say, wait a minute, I'm going to find the courage inside myself to go have the greatest adventure of my life in, inside myself, exploring myself. And begin to ask yourself and start with this question, what am I avoiding in my relationship with money because I'm afraid to look? Start there. Um, and where you can find me if you want some help unpacking or releasing or accepting, or, or growing your finances, um, come over to jenniferlove.com. I've also got a, a quiz over there. It's called the Living Wealthy Quiz. It will show you kind of a snapshot of really where you are in each of your four wealth zones. Um, or come hang out with me and play on Instagram. I'm at the Jennifer Love on Instagram. Beautiful. Well, please go follow her. You will love all of the information that she has available. And just Jennifer's take on money is truly extraordinary and, and something very, very special. And if you are looking for help in that department, please go look her up. And Jennifer, I thank you for being on the show, for sharing everything that you shared. You were super generous with your time and your knowledge. And I just appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Wonderful. And thank you, listener, for making it all the way to the end of this episode. I appreciate you as well. Remember, you are limited only by the limitations that you accept. And when you stop accepting those limitations, that is when you become limitless. And that is what I wish for you. You have a wonderful day, and I will see you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more of this type of content and conversation in your life, please come check out our free Facebook community, Unlock Your Inner CEO, where you'll find next level entrepreneurs just like you. Go to innerceogroup.com to join. I'll see you there.